friends, and welcome to Bold Mercies with Heather Johnson. I am so glad that you have decided to join us to come and listen to some faith-building stories. God's bold mercies in our lives help us live out our stories with boldness. Hi, friends. I am so honored today to share with you the story of Gay Brown. She walked with her son through the depths of alcohol and drug addiction. It is a story of transformation and hope, not just for her son, but for her whole entire family. Gay's story will encourage your faith and embolden you. So join us. Hi, Gay. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so glad that you can be here with us at Bold Mercies. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Heather. I'm thrilled to be here. So I asked you to join us today so that you can share your story about walking with your son through addiction. So can you just start off and tell us this story? Absolutely. Um, thanks so much for asking me to come on and, and share this story. I wanted to just, first of all, share a moment in time. So this is a very long process of coming to discover that our oldest son was addicted to drugs and alcohol. But this is a, um, a little blip, a little window into the day that really everything changed. I got a phone call from a vice principal at Yorktown High School. She said, Mrs. Brown, I'm afraid that your son became ill during the AP physics exam and had to come to the clinic. It was a beautiful, sunny May afternoon in 2015. A spring storm had moved through the day before and all was fresh and clean. I looked in the rearview mirror of my Honda Pilot at the middle row of car seats filled with our three beautiful chocolate brown foster children and responded, it'll take me an hour before I can get there, but I'm on my way. The trajectory of our crazy yet predictable life was about to take a sharp turn. My heart had dropped the second I looked down at my phone and saw the caller ID. I thought to myself, this is it. As anxiety and panic seeped through my body, I prayed, Father, he is yours. Show me what to do. Immediately, I heard in my spirit, be strong and take courage. Do not fear or be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Of course, God would speak to me the same promise he spoke to Joshua before he led the Israelites into the promised land and the same promise he gave me before he was even born 18 years earlier. You see, he had been born with duodenal atresia. His stomach and his intestines were not connected. And so when he was first born, he was at great risk and almost passed away. It, regard, it required... Um, surgeries and uh, many weeks in the hospital. And finally, he was okay. But I remember when he was born and he wasn't breathing, the Lord reminding me of this verse that he had given me while I was pregnant. You know, it was a, it was a verse that really didn't make sense to be given to a little baby. You know, I was thinking maybe something like, you know, children are a blessing from the Lord, or, you know, blessed is the man whose quiver is full, blah, blah, blah. And yet here, um, here is this, this warrior verse of confidence that your Lord, your God will be with you wherever you go. And from the first day he was born, he 
was in God's hands and he was directing his path. So I remember driving home, panic crouching at the door of my mind while a Doc McStuffins video was playing in the car DVD, the little ones singing along as if nothing was wrong. We pulled into our circular driveway, unbuckled everyone, and brought backpacks inside to find our youngest children, Rebecca and Andrew, ready to care for the little ones while I rushed to the school. I ran inside straight to the clinic to find the police and two vice principals. He was obviously altered, vacillating between laughing and crying. I rushed over to him, sitting on a cot, and hugged him tight and asked, what's going on, buddy? Mm, just took a little nap during the AP test, and my teacher got all upset. The Yorktown vice principal spoke up. You did more than take a little nap. You passed out, and your teacher couldn't wake you. This is very serious, and we are all concerned for you. While this wasn't the first time I had seen my son under the influence of substances, it was the first time anyone at Yorktown High School had been aware that he was using. This was the senior with a solid GPA and outstanding SAT score who had been offered academic scholarships to both Baylor and Clemson and had a month before decided to attend Clemson in the fall. The varsity lacrosse player, the accomplished cellist, the young life leader, and to top it all off, he was and is a beautiful young man inside and out. Not only extremely good looking, in my humble opinion, but he was also <laughs> respectful and kind. He refused to cooperate with us to tell us what all he had taken to cause him to pass out. He stuck to the story that he had some mimosas before the test. And so the vice principals were perplexed as what they should do. They couldn't find any drugs or alcohol on him in his backpack or in his locker. So they were unable to suspend him for possession, but he obviously needed to be disciplined. And senior experience was only two weeks away. Now, seniors at Yorktown High School in Arlington, uh, Virginia, are allowed to participate in a senior experience during the last three weeks of school. They're finished with AP exams and they have nothing more to do. And so they have this program where they secure internships with businesses or associations around the area, and they, they basically do an unpaid internship. Well, he had secured a senior experience internship with a contract lobbying firm in Washington, D.C., and was just about to finish two more weeks of school, then finish out his senior year on the Hill. He and I had just the week before purchased a new suit, dress shirt, shoes, a blue blazer, everything he would need to look the part during a senior experience. But he would not participate in senior experience. He would miss his senior prom with his girlfriend. He would miss going through graduation exercises as well because the following evening we put him on an airplane to Florida to check into a residential substance abuse treatment center where he would spend the next um, really, about 15 months. Mm. There was so much we didn't know when we put him on that plane. Most importantly, we didn't know the severity of the problem. Mm. I remember responding to his pleas to not send him away. And I said, buddy, I am absolutely willing for the professionals to tell me that we overreacted and that you do not need to be there. We'll have you on the next plane back in that case. But I don't think I'm overreacting. And I have to go with what my gut is telling me. God had begun a holy intervention 
at the, mm-hmm. a drawing of our entire family to himself that honestly continues to this day. Hmm. I love what you just closed with there just his holy intervention and a drawing to himself of your entire family. Did you see these early warning signs popping up or did when you got this call from the principal, was it like, what, like, whoa. Well, I tell you, looking back, Oh, there are lots of warning signs. Oh yeah. Hindsight's 2020, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But also you have to be willing to see the reality. And, you know, because he was born with a lot of issues in his, in his gut, he then, by the time he was two, had been diagnosed with um, abdominal migraines. He was on medication oh. for that until he was 10. Mm. And all of these gut issues created kind of an underlying level of anxiety and panic and almost Mm -hmm. an obsessive compulsive nature to them as well, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. where the pain would be so bad when he would have an attack. And and these abdominal migraines were, were horrendous. The only thing I can compare it to is like having contractions when you're giving birth and you know, it's going to, it's going to be over soon. But at the same time, you, you just want to die in the middle. And so here's this little boy, um, you know, not really knowing why this is happening and what's going on and how to fix it, how to, how to make it end. Um, And so all of that created a lot of anxiety in him. Mm. And um, he, he began to um, view this, this medication that he took for the abdominal migraine as a rescue. And I remember him being in the middle of an, an episode and screaming, give me the Tic Tac Madison, give me the Tic Tac Madison. He called it the Tic Tac Madison Tic-tac. because it tasted <laughs> minty like Tic Tacs do. Right. And, um, and so he, he just knew that that would make him feel better. And so he, he very early on equated um, rest and peace and an absence of pain with medicine, with a drug. Mm-hmm. And he, he will say that on um, the first time that he tried marijuana, um, the first time that he tried alcohol, he fell in love. He fell in mm-hmm. love with this substance that could make every pain, every anxious thought, every condemning, shame-filled part of him go away. It would just melt away. And so mm-hmm. it was, it was something that, that started early on. And, um, I think if that, if I can give anyone who's listening today any advice, um, mm-hmm. for your young children to, mm-hmm. to, to study them and to not just discount behaviors that are obsessive and compulsive to really listen and observe anxiety and Mm. even depression, help your child see, but before you've got to be able to see the, the things that they run to for peace, for Mm. security and contentment. Mm. And not that, you know, at some ages that they're, they're ready to, to transfer to Christ being who they run to, 
But when they're really early on in this, they, they need to know that you are their safe place and you are mm-hmm. not going to expect them to, to perform and do a certain thing and say a certain thing. Um, unfortunately, my personality is I love, I loved homeschooling my children when, uh, for 13 years I homeschooled them and I, and I loved being able to produce something great that they've, that they've done, something that showed how much they had learned and he's a great performer. And so unwittingly, I put a lot of pressure on him to perform and produce. Mm -hmm. And he did that marvelously, but it came Mm -hmm. at a great cost. Mm -hmm. And so I, those are things that I regret, things that I, um, up until just a few years ago, felt a lot of shame (laughs) for, Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, you, you look at this, beautiful child who's struggling and you you can't help but think where did I go wrong I did that I did that and um while I did contribute that is not who I am and it's Mm -hmm. also not who he is yeah and so uh you know God has worked so much um transformation in all of us his siblings, his brother-in-law, certainly Dale and, and myself, we have all experienced a transformation um, and a healing mm. as a result mm. of this journey. So your story doesn't stop there. So 15 months in residential care, are you seeing him during this time? Are, are doctors communicating? What does in residential care look like and how does it feel like for a mom? Right. Good question. So actually, he was only in residential care for about three months. Um, Mm -hmm. Then he moved into what they would call outpatient therapy, which they're in a sort of a halfway house where they're in group living. The first three months that he was there, Dale and I were able to go, my husband and I were able to go for a family weekend. And so we did get to see him. After about four months of being in the halfway house, he moved out and lived with two other young men from the program. And uh, they worked and worked out and lived together. And uh, we we thought that that was perhaps a a good thing for him, but but it really wasn't. And uh, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of things about... Um, that situation that we we would have done differently if we had known, but at the same time, this needed to be his <laughs> recovery and and not ours. We had uh, we had done what we could do, what we felt like we should do at the time, and he needed to be in charge of of his mm-hmm. recovery. And and the Lord, He continued to show us the next steps that we needed to take, and a big part of that was just releasing, um, releasing control, mm-hmm. taking my you know fingernails out from being embedded in his <laughs> shoulders, um, mm-hmm. trying to direct his every move and decision and experience and instead letting him actually come to see his own depravity. Oh, that must be so heartbreaking for a mom because you hear oh, that moms need to do that, right? Yes. 
But what were the wrestlings of your soul like through the midst of that? Because, I mean, maybe God just, you you know, in a quiet time with the Lord, maybe he just spoke very directly and said to you, release this. And then you released. But I feel like probably more than anything, it probably was a real wrestling like a process. So what did that wrestling feel like as you had to release? Right. It, It was like having your arm jerked off <laughs> it, mm, it, wow. it's so painful and and then it continues to ache and bleed and there doesn't seem to be any stopping it for a long long time so so yeah as with all of us we were born into sin we we have a sin yeah. nature since the fall and so all of yeah. us are going to struggle with certain temptations some um, desires that are just more, more uh, visible. I praise God for that, that it was very visible, um, very quickly, obvious. So therefore he was able to get the help he needed at such an early age. It, yes, it was yes. truly God's intervention, um, yes. a holy intervention to get him started on the path towards wholeness wholeness and completeness in Christ. Hmm. I want to ask you what that transformation looked like, but before, before we want, before I hear that piece of it, we really do want to hear that piece, but I know that probably the listeners are kind of on the edge of their seats and wondering what happened. Cause I think I took us on a tangent there and he's he's with his friends and he's in Florida and you said he's lifting weights with them and you thought this was going to be a good setup. And then there yeah. was a relapse. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, I wish I could say that in inpatient and then outpatient treatment programs did the trick <laughs> that he was mm. cured and everything turned out rosy, but that was not the case. Mm. 15 months after we sent him to rehab um, the first time, he was relapsed spectacularly with cocaine. Mm. Uh, in August of 2016, he called us in the middle of the night, obviously altered asking if we could put $200 in his bank account so we could entertain some new friends. Dale told him that we couldn't do that, but asked if we could pray for him. He allowed us to pray for him, told us he loved us, which he always did. He never, he never responded in anger towards us. He never responded mm-hmm. hatefully. So we're grateful for that. So he told us he loved us and hung up. We then got up, and this was about 2 o'clock in the morning, made arrangements for me to fly to Delray Beach, Florida, to find and hopefully persuade him to get on a plane with me and fly to Minneapolis, Minnesota, to the renowned Hazelden Betty Ford Treatment Center. So I need to tell you a little bit about how we um, came to have such great respect for Hazelden. I play a lot of tennis, so I have a lot of friends that I've um, met through playing tennis at the Y in Arlington. And one of my friends asked me if she could take me to lunch one day. So we did. And she brought this book with her. And she said, I really want you to read this book. Her son, one of her sons, had had an addiction to to meth. There had been there had been months and months that she and her husband had not heard from him. And she really didn't know if he was alive or dead when we had lunch that that snowy morning. So she gave me this book by William Cope Moyers called Broken, My Story of Addiction and Recovery. His parents were very famous um, people 
in the Washington, D.C. area and in journalism. And so William Cope Moyers had grown up in the, the seat of power, had a brother and a sister, and yet he always felt very different, was very uncomfortable in his own skin, which he will say today was a big problem for him growing up is that he never felt like he fit in anywhere, even mm. in our family. And so William Cope Moyers began using Young, and he was able to live addicted for many, many years into his adulthood. But where he first started learning about what health could be was at Hazelden. And so mm. after reading that book, as a matter of fact, it was yeah. so interesting. The day that she gave it to me, I went home and it had started snowing as we were eating. The snow just continued on and on. And so I mm. sat down on the sofa and read that book cover to cover as the snow wow. was coming down and just felt like finally there's somebody that will understand what we've yeah. been going through that, yeah. you know, from the outside, our family had it together. And mm. this was a crazy thing for us to, to be going through. I immediately sent a book and he began to read it. And so I knew that if I could just get, get to him, find yeah. him and somehow convince him that we needed to go to Hazelden, that this was, this was the next step. This was exactly right. what, you know, how God had been planning the steps to get us to where he needed to be. So I remember getting on that plane and reading literally 100 text messages and emails from our believing friends and family all over the country. Um, mm -hmm. Their prayers carried me to Florida and the wow. Holy Spirit literally told me every step to take as I looked for our son because wow. of his manic state that he was in. He didn't eat or stop speaking or sleep for five days. Um, wow. And so I was fearful that he wouldn't be able to process or reason. Right. But then God gave me this window of opportunity. And I told him that I thought we needed to leave Florida and fly to Hazelden in Minnesota so that they could tell us what needed to happen next. And in that mm -hmm. brief mo moment of lucidity, he said, let's do it. And so we literally wow. stood up. <laughs> <laughs> left the restaurant we were in overlooking the ocean and headed to the airport. Thankfully, my husband was always a step ahead of us. He had the flights ready. He had the phone calls ready with Hazelwood for an intake conversation. And every, every hurdle was thrown down. So every step was easy. Over the next three months, the Lord used the professionals at Hazelwood to break, break through. They also helped us his parents and siblings, as we processed our own feelings of grief, anger, mm -hmm. blame, and resentment, honestly. And mm -hmm. so then on November 1st, 2016, he turned home to Arlington. Mm -hmm. He continued in outpatient therapy while living with us for the next two years. Mm -hmm. He worked his sobriety program through AA, living an honest life and growing more dependent on Christ for life and breath. Amen. 
What a beautiful and powerful story. We, uh, I want to go back to this piece about the transformation that when you look back in time to this time, you know, what, what were you clinging to? What hopes? I mean, Jesus, but what about him were right. you clinging to? And, and what was the transformation that you have seen your family? What's the journey transformation that you've seen your family walk on? Right. Well, I, I would say, um, kind of going back to, my personality and what I'm a, uh, if you are familiar with the Enneagram, I am an Enneagram three. So I am um, an achiever. I Uh really can't stand to not have something to show for my work. And not only do I want to do my best, but I really need to be the best. You know, I'm not really as concerned about the steps in between as long as the end result is very high quality. And mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, I, I believe that I, I, that's how I raise my children, that, you know, the in, the, the in between steps that are really the ones that you need to be focusing on most w- took a backseat to the end result, what they could mm-hmm. produce, what they look like, what they could, you know, recite what they could um, perform. Then you you plop that into Arlington, Virginia, right outside of DC. You know, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, You (laughs) know, I remember that next morning, we were still, of course, in complete shock thinking, okay, we're going to wake up and this is just going to all have been a horrible nightmare. Right, right, Um, right. But also feeling compelled by what I'm confident was the Holy Spirit to be open and transparent regarding the situation in our community, mm-hmm. both our church community, the school community, the lacrosse community, mm-hmm. you know, living here in Arlington, Virginia, across the Potomac from DC, where power, power and influence are king. Yeah. We are certainly tempted by the normal Arlington response to the uncomfortableness of our decisions. Um, wow. Certainly yeah. this decision just for professional help. And so all of these thoughts of how to spin this story swirled through our minds, but we knew in our spirit that we needed to be honest and open and transparent. You know, honestly, I was, a, I was really afraid would judge him and us for all the bad decisions we've made that led to this result yeah. because, you know, we had been so confident that if you parent your kids right and you follow the formula of time, love, and prayer, then they turn out great. It's like this recipe, yeah. you know? And so this must be the failure, this, the result, excuse me, of a huge failure on our part. You know, yeah. honestly, the temptation to just simply cover everything over, you know, create this great cover story, hide behind masks of normalcy and hunker down until the storm passed was massive massive yes Um, and 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 just realizing how much how we looked and how we appeared to others mattered to us how how great that pressure was not only that we had of ourselves but we had also placed on our children but I'm so grateful that God pushed us to do what he pushed us to do I am fully confident that because we reached out and not just were honest, but we asked for help and support and prayer, that the time was shortened between mm. acknowledgement that he had a problem and, you know, last August he celebrated four years 
of sobriety. He was 19 when he got sober. (laughs) The last time he took a drink, the last time he did drugs, as opposed to 36 or even 28 when he's already gone through college and continued to to mess up his life. I really believe that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so when we are faithful to stay in the light, even when it is like fire, it purifies. And so that is the Mm -hmm. main reason why we, we chose to follow God in obedience and go move into the light and stay in the light. We've had so many opportunities to share our story with lots of different audiences, with sports teams, with schools, um, that they don't need to hide their junk. They don't need to be afraid of judgment or rejection, that we need each other in these communities. And our children need us to set the example of openness and authenticity. So that's the the biggest Mm -hmm transformation that happened in in all of us and that was that you know we we're still a great family we still look good and we can still produce (laughs) but we also have a lot of junk and we're not perfect and and we're okay with that um because God is is transforming us more and more into the image of his son whom he loves and Hmm. and and we'll take it you know we'll take it And by admitting our weaknesses, just like scripture says, we're actually allowing God's power to shine all the more greater. And we dampen dampen that power of the Lord when we're like, we are the shiny ones on stage. Then Mm -hmm. God's power is dampened. So that's what you all were stepping out and doing. Uh, So today, he's in his second year of college at George Mason University studying music education. He's a cellist. Mm -hmm. He has been fully reconciled with each member of our family, and he is chasing after Jesus in every area of his life. Um, Mm -hmm. We are forever grateful for the means of grace God used. In addition to all of that, and through all of these people, God's Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and guide, um, was faithful to rescue our son and redeem him to himself. And so Mm -hmm. for that, we just say all glory be to Christ. Amen. What an impactful story. And as we know with stories, they actually have the power to impact and influence our own faith and our own walk and our Mm -hmm. own journey. So thank you for sharing this story, for being honest, for being vulnerable, and for opening up your family's very private life for Mm -hmm. other people to hear and to God be the glory for the, the path and the journey that he has brought you guys on. I'm going to close every podcast by asking the question, what is one thing that is making you happy right now? You know, um, as we're in the midst of COVID-19 and quarantining and sheltering in place, I find myself with my parents, uh, my children and my husband are scattered all over the place and I'm not with them. And so that, that could make me very, very sad. (laughs) (laughs) and not happy. What makes me really happy is our weekly Zoom meetings that we have right now. I just love being able to see everybody and really connect Mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, honestly, I think we've, we've not done a great job of connecting and we are scattered all over the place. And so I'm, what's making me happy is getting to see them all 
even though it's through Zoom, but I'm, I'm really happy to see how the Lord just continues to draw us close as a family. And now with adult children as friends, um, yeah, as brothers so and sisters great. in Christ, it has just been a really beautiful thing. Well, Gay, thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate you sharing. And thank you for joining us today on Bold Mercies. Well, thank you so much for having me, Heather. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen.